0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: In one word, could you describe your relationship with money? Maybe toxic?
0: I am terrible with money. Okay, let's, let's talk about something else.
1: I don't really think about it.
0: I am a tight ass. It kind of scares me a little
1: bit because I
0: don't totally understand.
1: Why do we find it so difficult to talk about money? Why is it so awkward when you go to split a bill with a friend? Why is it so hard to ask for a pay rise? Why don't I look at my super? And why do my husband and I never discuss finances until we're having a financial crisis? I'm Claire Hooper. I'm a comedian. Not the sort of comedian who has many houses. The sort of comedian who still lets her mum pay for lunch. I'm 41, I have two kids and a mortgage and I'm a bit crap with money. And you know what? I reckon you might be too. You and I are going to learn to take control of the money in our lives. This is the year to get it sorted. To pledge, I am going to get good at this. Because money isn't boring. It's as exciting AF. By the end of episode 2, you'll learn how to be a budget ninja. Hi-ya! By the end of episode 3, you'll nail a pay rise or sort out a side hustle. <laughs> In episode five, you'll meet a woman who cut her credit cards into a thousand pieces and never looked back. By the end of episode seven, you'll know how to afford a wedding, even if you don't earn six figures. By the end of episode nine, you'll have a retirement plan that is so rich you'll be eating avocados for every meal. But I don't like avocados, Claire. Eat them. And by the end of this series, you'll be able to say about your money, I got this. So... Where do we start? Right at the top, baby, with rich people. Money was very scarce in our house, very scarce. So if I asked for
0: some jelly tots, which were five cents, it was a no, we can't afford that.
1: That's Naomi Simpson. She's an entrepreneur. You might know her as the Red Judge from Shark Tank. She wouldn't say how much she's worth, but people say it's about 60 mil. (laughs) Naomi remembers saving money, From almost before she could talk,
0: I have always been exceptional with money. Ever since I was a little girl, I had a piggy bank, and it used to, the coins would roll in, and I liked to see how they grew. It was very exciting. I remember the first dollar I was ever given by my grandfather, and we are talking a very long time ago when it was paper, and um, I needed to make a decision about whether I purchased a particular book. Or not? I hummed and hard and hummed and hard and I thought, I wonder if I'll ever earn or get another dollar or if this is the last dollar I ever had. And in that moment I chose I wanted more. You know, I just read a, uh, a study about people who have wealth. They are as stingy as when they started. And it's it, the value of money never changes. I paid $4 for a coffee this morning. What is this? I mean,
1: that's a ridiculous <laughs> amount of money. And Naomi's like, I just really enjoy being careful with money. Hmm. Think back to when you were a kid. How did the adults around you behave with money? And could that have subconsciously affected your behaviours today? When I was little, I remember... What's my money memory? It's my uncle giving me like a $1 or $2 coin when I went to visit him. And I never remember what happened to those coins. I don't remember how I spent them. So maybe that's me as an adult with money is I really really relish the experience of getting it and have no idea how it exits my life. Experts say that all of that helps form the kind of person you are with money. So if it all started so long ago, are we doomed? Like, can we fix ourselves? Dr. Brad Klontz says your crap money problems aren't your fault.
2: I think people absolutely underestimate the the power of financial psychology We begin developing our money beliefs as children, as we watch our parents and grandparents and other adults around us interact with money and talk about money or don't talk about money. These beliefs happen very early and they're passed down to us in our family systems.
1: And he's not even surprised that so many rich people are careful with money.
2: Well, rich people think about saving money, actually. (laughs) Wealth is something that is built up over time. Um, and so that's actually one of the false beliefs we have about rich people is that they spend their money um, and they buy these lavish things when that's actually not the case. Um, the research that, that we've done has shown that on average, wealthier people will spend, you know, about twice as much on things. Um, so in one study we did, the ultra wealthy had 18 times more money, for example. But when it came to a car or a watch or a house, they would spend only about twice as much as their middle class counterparts. And in, in fact, wealthier people are often striving to become wealthier, and so they never really feel like you know they're comfortable, like, I have enough. So it's really quite often driven by that fear.
1: Brad reckons most people fit into one of four money personality types. You know, it kind of sounds like that famous 90s TV show set in New York about those women with four different money personality types.
2: Okay, money status seekers, they have a tendency to overspend on things to make them feel more important or to raise their social status. So these individuals will quite often, if you ask them how much they make, they'll say they make more than they do. And they want to buy things brand new that are flashy so that they can tell the world that, hey, I'm important.
1: Money status seeker, title Samantha.
2: We will very often look at people who have um, a shiny toy, for example, in, in school that I want. And so they have somehow have more status. But it's a very slippery slope. And ultimately what people have a tendency to do is overspend and abuse credit to buy things they can't afford. Money status seekers are looking to impact those around them, you know, to look at them more favorably. And that's where they're getting their sense of joy.
1: Next one, Brad.
2: So um, money worshipers, they have a tendency to overspend or overwork, in an effort to find happiness and ultimately a sense of fulfillment. But they also have a tendency to overspend because it gets connected with more stuff. And so very often we'll see money worshipers um, who actually, what actually is associated with having less money and less net worth and more credit card debt as we are struggling to try to get enough stuff to make ourselves happy.
1: So they're on a terrible treadmill.
2: They really are. And unfortunately, of course, you know, that, that latest purchase or that latest raise does not, make you happy. It does not fundamentally change um, what's happening on the inside.
1: Money worship over work and the pursuit of money. Well, that could be Miranda. She's all about the work. Okay. Next one.
2: Yeah. Money vigilant um, is a combination of frugality. So they're quite nervous if they don't have enough money saved for the future. And they're really dedicated to spending and they also live more modestly. So they're actually more likely to tell people they make less than they actually do. So really, the money vigilant recognize that sometimes people look down on people who have more. So they're, they're very much committed to saving. They'd be a nervous wreck if they didn't have enough money saved for the future. And they also downplay how much money they make socially. So it's sort of the opposite of the money status seeker.
1: Money vigilant, total, Charlotte. Okay, and the last one.
2: So money avoidant individuals have a tendency to disparage rich people. Um, and then sabotage their own financial success because they have this negative association with money and being a a good person.
1: Money avoidant? Carrie, that's a bit of a stretch, isn't it? I don't know my sex in the city that well. Actually, let's not take money advice from women who live in New York apartments and drink cocktails every night and spend all their money on clothes and really, frankly, are never seen working. But back to what Brad said about those four money types. Did any of those feel familiar to you? Like, did you recognise yourself straight away? Have you started diagnosing friends and family? What about your partner? Look, to me, it is so clear. I am half money avoidant, that's how I was brought up, and half money worshipper because that's what I've developed as an adult. Anyway, I asked Brad, if there's such a thing as rich thinking, is there also poor thinking?
2: Well, I think absolutely. And it's not intended to be poor, of course. But poor thinking is about spending our money typically in an attempt to make ourselves feel better, make ourselves feel more important, or we're somehow repelling money because it makes us believe that we're somehow greedy or corrupt for wanting it.
1: So can you change your mindset? brad says you can
2: you know for some people it's it's relatively instantaneous like if you can trace a family pattern of beliefs that has gone back and and learn some of those family stories from your parents and grandparents For some people, it's like a light switch going on where it's like, oh, my goodness, I've been doing this because of this family history. And now I can make a different choice. For some people, it's instantaneous. For others, if you have really strong emotion attached to a belief around money, that can be more difficult to change because it can bring back all this anxiety about things that have happened in the past. So, for example, if you grew up In poverty, poverty can be a very traumatic experience for many people, not knowing where you're gonna get your next meal, not knowing if your basic needs are gonna be met. And so you could have the belief that, you know, there'll never be enough money. And that belief, if there's strong emotion attached to it, you could become an Ebenezer Scrooge type who has lots of money, but you have tons of anxiety and you can never allow yourself to enjoy it. Or you could become a spendthrift where there's never enough money, so I might as well spend it while I got it. And so if there's real intense emotion attached to it, it can be a more difficult thing to shift that behavior in the long term.
1: Let's meet someone who did change their mindset in kind of a weird way. This is a really difficult thing for me to be sitting here talking
0: to you about this because it's a little bit embarrassing.
1: That's Jacinta. She wasn't that great with money. There wasn't much of it. She didn't look at her bank statements. She didn't want to know about it.
0: I used to find money really stressful because there wasn't much of it. A strange thing happened not that long ago where I was talking to one of my friends and she started telling me kind of out the side of her mouth with a little twinkle in her eye that she had been dabbling in hypnotism.
1: Yeah, but not the kind of medical one that you go to in a physical actual office. She would typed in some stuff on the internet and was being hypnotised Fire a YouTube clip. Jacinta was like, Dude, this is crazy. What are you doing? But the friend was so convincing that later that night, after the kids had gone to bed, Jacinta was on the couch and found herself typing into Google that same hypnotist.
0: I don't know. I don't know what possessed me. I did it. I listened to him. What's strange about it is it wasn't like he said, go and organise your finances. It was like we're on a train and then we're happy about the train I and we're in a, a jungle. Like it doesn't make any sense. Fast forward one week later, basically my whole financial life has been completely changed. Can you pin down what you were doing differently? Well, I changed everything that I did with money. So I went through all of my bank details, something I'd never even could think I would possibly do without having a little vomit. I hate that stuff. But suddenly it became this great, fun thing to do. And it made sense to me how I would suddenly organise all my finances. And I felt like I could actually do something to change what I felt was a fairly, you know, static experience with money, which was going to be just, oh, that's it. We just, we just won't ever have it or it won't, we won't ever be able to buy a house or it just seemed like that's just how it is. And then suddenly it was like, maybe it's not. Within the space of a month and a half,
1: we've basically bought an apartment. And at the start of the hypnotism... You had no deposit? Nothing, and not even a perception that I
0: could. But really what happened was just a real shift in my thinking around it. What were your parents like with money? Pretty depressed. <laughs> there, wasn't huge, we, there wasn't a huge pool of it. So, you know, it was similarly in the same sort of thinking that I was up until, you know, moments ago. A scarcity mentality. Scarcity mentality. Look at you and your financial talk. I think I've gone from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset.
1: Do I have to go to the extreme of getting hypnotised to turn my money situation around?
0: I am a money magnet. Ooh. Money is coming to me.
1: That is a really creepy voice.
0: Money constantly flows into my life.
1: Money does flow in and out of my life, but, you know, like out a little bit more than in.
0: The more money I spend... The more money I have and the more money I receive.
1: That doesn't even make mathematical sense.
0: Unexpected money falls into my lap.
1: I don't know if there's room with all the children in my lap.
0: I receive money just by thinking luxuriously.
1: I already think luxuriously. That hasn't brought me riches. Can we just have some good, sensible advice, please, Dr Brad? Sure.
2: If you're feeling bad about money and you're feeling bad about your relationship with money, you're not alone. Don't let shame keep you stuck. This is the average individual if you're somehow conflicted around money. Your financial problems will make perfect sense if you understand your financial psychology. So the craziest financial behavior that I've ever seen makes perfect sense if you can understand the beliefs you have about money and where they came from. If you can change your beliefs around money, you can absolutely change your financial life.
1: So how do you make your mind work for you? Brad did this really interesting study where he took two groups of people and asked them to save money. The first group he gave really straight financial advice to. The second group were told to look deep inside and find an emotional reason for saving money, a goal. And that group saved a shed load more.
2: That sentimental savings group, we saw approximately a 70% boost in their savings, so they were extremely motivated um and went out and took action to save more.
1: Wow! I mean, this all sounds very Oprah to be able to access this kind of emotional core to help themselves save.
2: Oh, it's so funny you, you asked me whether it's Oprah, um, because actually <laughs> we we used we used a vision board, and and you know I never really thought about it, but I'm pretty sure Oprah was into vision boards. Yeah, um, But what she we had was. people do. Yeah, what we had people do, we, we gave them art supplies, magazines, and we gave them scissors. And so what we had them do is not think about a savings goal. You know, that that's actually kind of boring. <laughs> you know, we had them get really specific. So, um, you know, not just like "Well, I want to save for a vacation, but I want to save for a European family vacation in 2018. And then we had them make it a visual representation of that goal. And then we encouraged them to keep that visual representation Uh, close to them. So, you know, for that group, we had them take their vision boards home. Um, I would encourage other people, you know, if if your savings goal is a new house and you have an idea of what you want it to look like, grab a picture and put it as your screensaver on your computer, put it on your, on your cell phone as wallpaper, something that you can continually see because it's going to activate your emotional brain, which is what really drives your behavior.
1: Thanks, Brad. So here's what we've learned. One, Rich people got that way because they're really careful with money. Two, your relationship with money is shaped when you're a little kid. Three, once you understand that, you can change it. But the biggest thing is you've got to have a goal. Think for a second. Like, what is it that you want? Do you want to be able to say... This house is mine. Do you want to be able to leave the job you hate and pursue the job you care about? Do you want to have a baby or, or another baby? Do you want to sleep better at night? Or just know that you're not trapped under debt, that you're in control. I'll start. I, Claire Hooper, am going to get out of credit card debt. Like, there it is. I'm sick of being a schmuck. It makes you feel like an idiot. To have credit card debt. I don't want to be an idiot anymore. Sorry. Sorry to all the other idiots listening. I want zero credit card debt by the end of the year. Okay, here's what I've done. I've put a picture of Tokyo Disneyland on the inside of my wardrobe door and I'm staring at it every day because that is what I'm going to do with my money when I've paid my credit card debt off. I am taking my kids to Tokyo Disneyland and it is going to be really good to not put it on a credit card. I'm calling it a pineapple pledge. What's yours? What are you sticking on the fridge or inside of your wardrobe door or making the screensaver for your phone or putting on a post-it note and putting on your mirror? What are you saving for? Cash you next week. Queen's Hooper out. Now get ready because next week, the money mission begins. You're going to get lessons from Australia's biggest tight asses? Well, it's not like I don't spend money. I just spend it differently. I own my house. I don't have a mortgage because I haven't wasted all that money on the stuff that I don't need. Stop. Stop. You own your house? hmm And then about five minutes after you finish listening, you're going to say to someone you know, budgeting is fun, and then you're not going to recognise yourself. When I sit down and do this with people on one-on-one consultations,
0: I love seeing the look on their face like,
1: oh, wow. Okay. all right, yeah, I've got this. The Pineapple Project, the podcast that makes you better at money. For more episodes of The Pineapple Project, find it now on the ABC Listen app. Roll the credits! The Pineapple Project's executive producer is Monique Boley. I am so Googling money hypnotist tonight. Consulting producers are Emily Stewart. Do not Google money hypnotists. And Justine Kelly. If I had money, first class all the way with a driver. It's produced by Rachel Fountain. You had me at Oprah. The show was mixed by John Jacobs. Oh, I'm a total Samantha. This is a production of ABC Audio Studios. <laughs>
0: last time you bought something to wear? This week? Yesterday? The average Australian buys 56 items of clothing and chucks out 15 kilos of clothes a year. So how did we get here? I'm Veronica Milsom, host of the ABC podcast Threads, where I undress the fast fashion industry and how it's designed to make us buy until we die. Threads. It's everything fast fashion doesn't want you to know. Hear it in the ABC Listen app.